Hello, my name is Farring Glenfield. I'm the Church of Ireland Bishop of Kilmore, Elfin and Ada. I'm speaking to you from Danesford, behind the deanery in Kilmore in County Cavan. As you can see, the ground is carpeted with snowdrops, the first signs of spring. We're into the season of Lent and we're still in lockdown. Someone has described Lent as God's springtime. And it is my hope and prayer as we share in these services, which are coming from across our diocese, that God will spring clean our lives and renew us by his spirit as we follow in the footsteps of his beloved son on the way to the cross and to the empty tomb of Easter day. So thank you for joining us and God bless. Are very welcome as you join us for morning prayer whether you're joining us from the Church of Ireland Diocese of Kilmore, Elfin and Arda or whether you're joining us from some other faith or none you are very welcome. We're here in Kilishandra Parish Church in County Cavan. The service is brought to you from Kilishandra Parish Group, the Arva Parish Group and the Florence Court Parish Group and for those of you who don't know me I'm Hazel Hicks and today is the second Sunday in Lent. The Lord be with you. Some words from Daniel 9, verses 9 and 10. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by following his laws which he set before us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we gather to worship you, you will still our hearts and minds. You will speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First hymn is hymn number 58. Morning has broken like the first morning.
Christ, we come together to offer Almighty God our worship and praise and thanksgiving, to confess our sins and to receive God's forgiveness, to hear his holy word proclaimed, to bring before him our needs and the needs of the world, to pray that in the power of his spirit we may serve him and know the greatness of his love. Let us confess our sins to God our Father. Heavenly Father, we have sinned against you and against our neighbour in thought and word and deed, through negligence, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, by what we have done and by what we have failed to do. We are truly sorry and repent of all our sins. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may serve you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Amen. We hear that God forgives us. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy on us. Pardon and deliver us from all our sins. Confirm and strengthen us in all goodness and keep us in eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. As we turn to God's word, O Lord, open our lips and our mouth will proclaim your praise. God, make speed to save us. O Lord, make haste to help us. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forever. Amen. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. Our first reading is from Romans chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 13. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing, and the promise is worthless. Because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, 
He was, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi. So this is Larry, my purple feathered friend, if you haven't met him before. And uh, this week, because it, we've had a little bit more dry weather and there's been snow snow uh, and it's been a little bit warmer, uh, we've gone for lots of walks this week, haven't we, Larry? In fact, you can see I've got my fleece on me because we're going to go for a walk very shortly now when we finish the video. And Larry this week has been asking me about some of my walks because I'm known to go away on big long walking holidays and things. And one of the walks I've done is called the Camino de Santiago. And this is a walking route. And the one I did was the Camino Francaise, which goes from France the whole way across Spain to a city called Santiago de Compostela. And it's about 500 miles or 800 kilometers. And it takes most people over a month to walk. So this is the end of February. It would take us every day of March and into April for most of us to walk the route if we went to do it. And most people have a pilgrim passport or a credential. And along the way, you get to stamp it uh, and to show where you stayed and the places that you visited. So I've been busy showing this to Larry this week. And this is Larry's favourite stamp that I've got. As you can see, it's got a bird. And as we looked through it, I was able to tell him stories about what happened each day. And uh, So I, I remember this place I stayed. They made a very nice dinner. Uh, and other ones you looked, oh, and you could say, oh, that was the day that when I arrived, I was soaking wet because we had gale force winds and driving rain and it was horrible weather. Oh, that was the day that I fell and cut my hand and hurt my ankle. Uh, that was a tough day. <laughs> Oh, that was a really lovely day. We had a really nice walking that day. It was The sun was out and the birds were singing and the flowers were all out. It was lovely. And there's a whole mix of stories that go with it. But the thing is, a lot of people walk it. And once they've decided to walk it and start out on the road, the really easy thing is all you do is follow the yellow arrows. The bottom you can see kind of a shell design. That's the symbol of the route. But this yellow arrow here, the whole route is marked with these yellow arrows, sometimes on a nice tile like this with the blue background. Sometimes it's just a yellow arrow painted on a wall. But each and every one of them tells you which direction to go, whether you keep going straight, whether you should go to the left or whether you should go to the right to keep on the route. It's as simple as following the arrows. Now, that sounds easier than it is because sometimes you can miss an arrow. and You have to keep your eyes open for them. And you can end up going the wrong way quite easily at times. So you have to keep your eyes open. And other times it's just tough going. Maybe you're tired. Maybe it, uh, it's been a, the weather's been bad. Maybe you're injured. And it's just tough to keep following the arrows. <coughs> but actually it made me think of our Bible readings in our service. Uh, and all of them are about faith and trust and following Jesus. <coughs> Now, all of us have to make a big decision at some point whether we are going to follow Jesus and whether we're going to have this relationship with God and have faith and trust in him. But that's a bit like deciding you're going to go and walk something like the Camino de Santiago, that big, long walk, and decide you're going to do it. But then each and every day along the way, you have to make lots of little decisions. <laughs> and that's where faith and following Jesus comes into play. Because each and every day we have to make decisions about what it means to follow Jesus and make decisions which way and what things we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And sometimes it's really easy. It's fairly easy to have faith and trust in God at times. Things are going well, it's not a big deal. But then things can get tough or difficult 
and we get tired, we get worn out and it can seem far tougher and we hit those difficult moments. <laughs> but actually, the worthwhile nature of it all is that God is still with us and has amazing things ahead for us. We just need to keep going and keep trusting in him that he knows what way to send us along the way. So we keep following, just like I, when I was walking the Camino, you have to keep looking for the arrows each and every day about what it means to follow God and follow Jesus and to have faith and trust in him. So Larry and I are going to head out for our walk. No yellow arrows for us to follow today, Larry. But as we follow and trust Jesus, we have, have to do it each and every day and trust that God is leading us on even when things seem really tough. So we say bye, Larry. second reading is from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, beginning to read at verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, 
in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my lips and the thoughts of each one of our hearts be today and always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In the news, we often hear the results of some survey or another that's been conducted, particularly with regards to the issue of faith. Some years ago, Richard Dawkins announced the results of a survey he had commissioned on attitudes to Christianity in the UK. And when he announced the results, he said, and I quote, it's clear that faith is a spent force in the UK. That was his interpretation of the data, but it was not the whole story. One thing, for example, that he seemed to miss was that at least a quarter of the population agreed with the statement, Jesus is the Son of God, the Saviour of mankind. I wonder what kind of answers I could get if I went around our diocese today and asked people who they think Jesus is. I wonder what they would say to the question, what does that mean? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Son of God? Well, the passage we're looking at today from Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, deals with the issue of what it means. Because just before this passage in verse 30, Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ. Peter recognised that Jesus was the king that the Israelites had been expecting, whose coming had been prophesied in the Old Testament. And from that point onward in Mark's Gospel, the question becomes, what did it mean for Jesus to be king? Why did Jesus need to die might be another question we could ask. Well, the very first thing Jesus teaches the disciples in verse 31 is that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected, and that he must be killed. So this is Jesus teaching them about what it means for him to be king. Not that he will suffer, but that he must, because it's part of his mission. You see, there are sometimes people talk about Jesus as being a weak character, someone who's blown around by the winds of chance, and someone who ends up being killed because he managed to annoy the wrong people. But that's not what the Bible tells us. Jesus says that his death is part and parcel of his mission. In fact, when Peter takes Jesus aside to uh, take him to task in, in verse 33, Jesus rebukes him because he doesn't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. It's perfectly understandable that Peter wouldn't want to hear of Jesus dying. But Jesus says it's the plan of God himself that Peter is opposing. But if this raises a question, why is it so necessary then for Jesus to die? Well, one of the clearest answers to that question comes in Isaiah 53. The prophecy that was written about 500 years before Jesus came. And this is what verses 5 and 6 say. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. 
Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So that tells us that we all have gone astray like sheep, and those of us who are in farm communities knows how easy it is for sheep to go astray. We have all rejected the Creator God who made us, and we have all done wrong against him. But in his mercy, God provided a sacrifice. Jesus, the Son of God, took all the punishment and the penalty of our sin on the cross, so that through his death, all who believe in him may obtain forgiveness and be saved from their sins. We read this in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So therefore anyone who repents and believes in him can be considered righteous in God's eyes. So this necessity for Jesus' death explains why Peter was rebuked. And we may well be asking, well, why did Peter, who knew Jesus so well, who only a few verses before had declared him to be the Christ, reject what Jesus says about having to die? Well, the Jewish people, of course, had read the prophecies of the Old Testament. They were expecting a Messiah figure, someone like David maybe to come along, someone who would be a king who would fight their battles, who would lead them in war against the Romans and take them out of the awful oppression they were living in. So when Peter declared that Jesus was the Christ, maybe what he had in mind is that someone was going to come who would fulfil the image that he had of a fighting king, a king who was a leader, who would fight battles. But Jesus says, no, that's not how it is. As we've already seen, his mission was to die. So Peter's expectation of what it meant to be the Messiah was obviously wrong and Jesus needed to correct it. And there was Peter, someone who had spent such a lot of time with Jesus, who was one of his closest disciples, someone who knew Jesus personally, and yet he still got it wrong and he still didn't realise what the mission of Jesus was all about. He didn't fully understand what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe that's a challenge for us in the year 2021. Peter called himself a follower of Jesus, and yet he still managed to get it wrong. And sometimes we do the same today. We say we follow Jesus, but do we know what it means to really follow Jesus? Now we don't have any expectation of Jesus as a warrior king, but some people think that Jesus is only a great moral teacher. And of course Jesus was a great moral teacher. So people think, well, all you have to do to follow him is to be a good person and do some good deeds. But that's not what Jesus says it means to be his follower. Because after Jesus rebukes Peter, he teaches them what it actually means to follow him. In verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, we talk about having a cross to bear. And sometimes what we mean by that is that someone has been bereaved very sadly, that someone has some terrible responsibilities or problems that they have to cope with. But that's not the cross that Jesus was talking about. 
Because if you saw someone carrying a cross in the first century Jerusalem, you knew they were heading out to die. Jesus already knew what kind of death he was going to face. What Jesus is saying, that if you want to be his follower, it means taking up your cross and following him out to die. Now what does that mean? Jesus didn't intend for all his disciples to go out and be crucified with him. Certainly not. So what does it mean to follow him to his death? Paul in Galatians 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul certainly knew what it meant to take up his cross and follow Jesus. Not in the sense of a physical death, but a spiritual death. It meant dying to the part of him that was sinful, that was in opposition to Jesus, and instead living by faith in the Son of God. Do you notice what Jesus said in the passage? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. We need to deny ourselves because our nature as humans is to sin and to be tempted and to sin, to go against what God wants. But if we're crucified with Christ, it's a complete change of direction. We acknowledge that Jesus is Lord of our lives and by faith we live a new life to please him in the knowledge that we have been forgiven. Don't know if you've ever been to a full submersion baptism, usually Sometimes in some churches that's what they do with adults and the person goes right down underneath the water. And that in a way is a good symbol of what this means because it symbolises death to the old life, the life that we lived against God and when they come back up out of the water it symbolises the birth of the new life, the life which is lived with Jesus as Lord in order to please him. And of course we are human. None of us is able to live a perfect life. We are always a work in progress and will be until the day we die. But that doesn't mean we don't try hard and it doesn't mean that God through his Holy Spirit won't help and guide us because he certainly will. In Luke's Gospel chapter 9, Jesus actually says that taking up our cross is something that his followers need to do every day. It's not something that we do once and then never have to do again. He's saying, if you're his follower, you'll make mistakes, you'll get it wrong, you'll fall, but keep persevering and he will help you. As Christians, when our churches were open, we used to take communion regularly. And that was to remind each of us and to remind each other that we need to keep coming back to the cross. We need to keep reminding ourselves and each other of the forgiveness that we find there. And we need to keep promising to deny ourselves and take up our cross. And then in verses 35 to 39 of our Gospel reading, Jesus gives the reason why it's so important for us to follow him. Verse 35, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me and for the Gospel will save it. It's true that sharing in the death of Jesus is like losing your life, your life of sin. We have to deny ourselves, deny some of the things that we want to do, and live life to please God and not ourselves. But what Jesus is saying here is that 
people who lose their life for him and for the gospel will actually find a better life. Living a life with Jesus as Lord is living life to the full. Remember the words in John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. And then right back at the beginning of that Gospel reading from Mark, verse 31, Jesus says that after three days he will rise again. Those who follow Jesus, who deny themselves, who take up their cross, will join in his resurrection. A life lived for Jesus and the gospel is the most amount of life anyone can have, not only here on earth, but in the life to come. In the long run, anything we have needed to give up in this life to follow Jesus will be nothing compared to the gain we receive by being with him forever. But then look at the words in verse 36. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? If we decide we're not going to follow Jesus, then nothing will be able to save us. Even if we have lots of money, even if we have lots of land and property, even if we give lots of money to those in need, none of it is of any value if we lose the most important thing of all, eternal life. All who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of when he comes in his father's glory with the holy angels. None of us want Jesus to be ashamed of us on that day when we meet him face to face. But if we've taken up our cross and followed him to the end, wouldn't it be wonderful to hear him say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Following Jesus means denying ourselves and acknowledging that Jesus is Lord over our lives. In the words of the hymn that we sang some time ago, have you decided to follow Jesus? No turning back, no turning back, because no other way can take us to where Jesus is and where we can spend eternity with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that Jesus went to the cross for our sins. Help us to take up our cross and follow him. And as we remember that Jesus overcame death and the grave, we pray that we will join him in eternal life. In his name we pray. Amen. And our next hymn is from our thanks and praise. It's hymn number 64. In Christ alone my hope is found. Christ alone, who took on flesh, 
faith in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. And we say the family prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The College for the Second Sunday of Lent. Almighty God, you show those who are in error the light of your truth, that they may return to your way of righteousness. Grant to all those who are admitted into the fellowship of Christ's religion, that they may reject those things that are contrary to your profession, and follow all such things are, are agreeable to the same. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And the Lent Collect. Al Almighty and everlasting God, who had nothing that you had made, and forgive the sins of all those, are, those who are penitent. Create and make in us a new and contrite heart, that we, worthy lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, may receive from you the God of all mercy, perfect remission and forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the morning collect. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and ever-living God, we give you thanks for bringing us safely through this day. Keep us from falling into sin or running into danger, and in all things guide us to do and to do your will, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord Jesus, in this time of Lent, help us to review our lives, our preoccupations, our fears and worries, our ambitions, our busyness, our tiredness, and all that distracts us. We ask that you would help us refocus. Show us what is stopping us concentrating on you and help us to reorder our lives so that you are the centre. Not just to ask, what shall I give up for Lent? But to ask, what is stopping me from seeing you? Jesus, help us to refocus our lives on you again. Father, we pray for your church. Thank you for reminding us that church is not about buildings. And although meeting and worshipping together may not be possible, we are grateful for the many new ways we can come together in your name. We ask that you bless our online services, our drive-through services. Bless our bishop, clergy, parish readers, Sunday school teachers, worship leaders, and all who help us to come together and worship you as one congregation. Lord, help your church find its voice. Help it to speak to the fears and worries of our world and to reflect the love and grace you have poured out upon us. Lord, we pray for our leaders. We pray that you would give them wise counsel. Bless them with discernment and compassion that they would lead our lands with justice. Lord, guide them to make the right choices in dealing with COVID and also to help our nations adapt post-Brexit. Father, we pray for our communities. We pray for our children, for our parents and those who are homeschooling and their teachers online. Help them to learn, help them to play Help them as they miss their friends and wider family. Help them deal with the uncertainties of our lives. Reassure them about their future and let them know your love. And Lord, we pray 
that when the schools do reopen, they would do so safely. Father, we pray for the sick, for those with COVID and those whose treatment has been delayed because of COVID. We pray for those who are isolated, alone or afraid. Help them to know that they are not alone. We pray for those who are working to fight the pandemic in hospitals, care homes and in the community. Give them compassion and refresh them, Lord. For those developing and administering vaccines, bless their endeavours and help ensure fair access for all people. And Lord, we thank you for those keeping our homes, shops and workplaces clean and for those keeping us fed. Finally, we pray for those who mourn. We are unable to grieve as we would choose to. Lord, we pray that your comfort would reach out and touch those who mourn and bring them healing. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Thank you for joining us from your homes for our service this morning. Thank you to everyone who contributed to the service. It was really good to have you with us. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be amongst us and remain with us this day and forevermore. Amen.